0: As we're getting to the message this morning, I, I want to argue with you this morning, not really argue with you, but I'm going to contend that one of the greatest American sport, sports movies of all time has got to be Dodgeball, a true underdog story. All right, if you're not familiar with it, it's the story of Peter LaFleur, who's the owner of a struggling gym. He's in debt, $50,000, and Just across the way from his gym is one of the many Globo gyms owned by his nemesis, White Goodman. And White can't stand Peter or his small-time gym and can't wait to take it over when the bank forecloses. And So Peter and his ragtag buddies are trying to figure out how can we save the gym. And so what they decide is that they're going to win the American Dodgeball Association of America's championship the winner of which will receive a $50,000 grand prize. Well, the problem is that White's team is the reigning champions, and Peter's team has never picked up a dodgeball, right? And so here they are, as you can see on the screen, side by side, Globo Jim on the left, Average Joe's on the right. And if you were putting together a dodgeball team, who would you pick? Would you pick... Average Joes or maybe Globo Gym with specimen, physical specimen after physical specimen. <laughs> if you were putting together a team, would you even make your own team? Maybe not. Well, fortunately, God doesn't pick and choose the way that we do. And that we're going to talk about this morning, how does God choose? On what basis does he choose? What does he look at? Who does he call? And what, for what purpose does he call us? This is a a message in our sermon series that we've actually been walking through all summer where each week we've been looking at one of the 12 apostles or 12 disciples and we have been discovering how God has this pattern throughout history of using very ordinary, normal people to do truly supernatural things and even change the world. It's a pattern that he continues today for all who are followers of Jesus, and so we've been trying to glean what it looks like to be a follower, to be used by God as he used these apostles. And so this morning, we're looking at the story of Levi, asking the question, how does God pick and choose, on what basis, and for what purpose? And so if you want, you can follow along on the screen as we read from Luke chapter 5, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And let's pray as we move into this together. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we invite your Holy Spirit to be among us, to be speaking into the details Of each and every one of our lives, those details that you know so well, you know the word that we need to hear, so give us the ears to hear, the ability to receive and even more to respond to your word. It's in Jesus name that we pray all these things. Amen. So like I said, this is the story or one of the stories of Levi in the other Gospels. He's referred to as Matthew. It just depends on what language they're pulling his name from. And I think this particular story really challenges our notions of who God chooses. As we see the story open up, Jesus is walking along the road and he comes along and finds the tax collector booth and he sees Levi sitting there and says, follow me. Like, just, just try to picture it for a second. Here's, Levi. Levi basically has a toll booth along the side of a road, and everybody passing by needs to stop so that he can collect the taxes. Probably taxes mostly on goods that are being traded throughout the Roman Empire at this point. And just coincidentally, on Friday, I received in the mail a letter from the New Jersey Division of Taxation indicating an amount due. No kidding. And how do you think I felt when I received that? How do any of us feel when we receive a bill for our taxes? Not particularly great, right? Tax collection and tax collectors throughout history have not really been particularly popular. And it certainly was true in Jesus' day. It gets more, though, the fact that the taxes were being imposed on the people. Right by the Roman Empire, especially of the Jewish people. There was no vote, no choice. It just was happening to them, and that was offensive enough because they, they understood themselves as God's people, that, that nobody should rule over them except for God alone, and so they were offended by the Roman presence and the Roman taxation. But it got worse when you actually look at how the taxes were collected because here's basically what the Roman Empire did. They sold tax-collecting franchises. Right? And, and Levi was a Jewish man, and so he purchased from the Roman Empire a tax-collecting franchise. So this spot was his spot. And he wasn't, he wasn't actually on the payroll of the Roman Empire. He didn't receive a wage. Instead, he was allowed to collect however much he wanted to. Right, nobody, no, none of the people really knew how the tax sausage was made and so as long as the Roman Empire got what they expected to get from Levi, he could charge whatever else he wanted on top of it and put it in his pocket. And so he was a traitor, working for the enemy and he was extorting money from his own people. Not exactly a, a popular guy. But on top of it, it was an incredibly lucrative way to live. I mean, you, you really had no limits on what you could collect. And we don't know anything more really about Levi's backstory, but what we know is that somewhere along the line, Levi made a decision. He said, you know what? You know what I think is gonna help me get a great life? Is to get a whole bunch of money. And you know a great way, an easy way to get a whole bunch of money? It's to become a tax collector. And you can imagine him thinking, man, if I do this, then I know that I'll have security, my family will have security, I'll have comfort, we can do whatever it is that we really want to do. And so that's all it's going to take. And so he was willing to be labeled a traitor and a thief in exchange for the life that he thought that he wanted. And you can imagine, he wouldn't have been very liked by his own people. But more than being a social outcast, he was also a religious outcast. Because a tax collector in the course of their everyday business, you can imagine all the people going by, he would have had to interact with lots of Gentile people, these are non-Jewish people, as well as a whole bunch of different kinds of animals. And some of these animals, according to the Old Testament law, would have been considered unclean. And so if he came in contact with any of these things, he would have been religiously unclean, which means he could not have gone to the temple for worship. So he was an outcast from the place where God's presence was supposed to really be on earth. So he was a social outcast. He was a religious and spiritual outcast. He was a thief and a traitor. Didn't have a lot of friends, you can imagine. But the first thing he does after he encounters Jesus is he throws a party and invites all of his friends to come. And what we find in the story is that all of his friends are tax collectors and sinners. Now It's really a- an interesting phrase if you think about it, tax collectors and sinners. It's like we needed a special category for tax collectors. Right? It wasn't, it's not that they were just sinners enough like everybody else. No, they were a special breed of sinner called tax collectors. It was like they were the worst of the worst. And we might think that this is kind of ridiculous, but if we're honest about it and we think and reflect on it, we have those sins often in our day that we think are the worst of the worst. That we could say, oh yeah, it's the sinners and the blank." You know, we, we pick a sin of some kind or a group of people, maybe it's sins of, uh, of sexuality or it's abortion or it's addictions or it's politicians, whatever the group is, whatever the sin is that we label the worst of the worst, we raise it up as this heinous thing. The nice part is I'm never usually tempted to the thing that I raise up as the worst of the worst. But it's still that bad. And so here's Levi, the worst of the worst. think this is why this story is so significant, why it's so important for us, because along comes Jesus, and he sees Levi. He knows Levi. He knows that he is a sinner. No, he knows that he's worse. He knows he's a tax collector, and he calls him, and he says, follow me. So here comes Jesus, the rabbi, the miracle worker, the Lord, And he calls Levi, and Levi immediately responds, doesn't he? Right? No hesitation, no doubt, no argument, no delay. He gets up, leaves everything. I think there's such a deep craving in Levi's soul. A craving to be seen and wanted, to be known and not be rejected. There was a longing in his soul for another way of being, another way of living, another way of interacting. And until this point, he had no hope of finding it because he had made his choices. But now comes Jesus and offers another way forward, a possibility, and he jumps at it. And when he jumps at it, it all changes for him. He leaves everything. He leaves that tax booth behind. Somebody else was going to sit in that place. But he walked away because Jesus... Picked him. He said, follow me. And and it's amazing that Jesus didn't say, hey, you could follow me if or when. Follow me if you're willing to get rid of this tax booth. You could follow me when you clean up your life. Get your act together and then come follow me. He says, follow me to him right there when he's sitting in the booth, the symbol of his sin and his rejection. He says, follow me. And this is so important, I think, for us. This may be important for you today. This may be important for someone in your life today because what this story tells us is that it is possible. It can be different for you. It can be different for them. A new way of life is possible. Paul wrote a letter to one of his young protégés named Timothy and in that letter he said this, he says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. This is Paul. This is Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. This is Paul that I think none of us would try to argue that Paul was outside of the love and the acceptance of God. This is Paul. Paul. And yet here's Paul also saying, I am the worst of sinners. It's because Paul is looking into his past, looking at his life, recognizing that there are things so horrible that he cannot undo, he cannot change. He used to hunt down the followers of Jesus and in the name of God oversee their murder. And yet Jesus called him. Jesus chose him. Jesus picked him. And if Jesus chooses Paul, and if Jesus chooses Levi, is it possible that Jesus would choose you? See, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter what's in your present. It doesn't matter what's hiding in the deep recesses of your mind. It doesn't matter the hurt and the destruction you have called, the choices that you have made. There is nothing that can disqualify you from being picked and called by God through Jesus Christ. But I can almost hear the doubts and the skepticism rising up within you. Because I've sat with some of you and I've heard your story. I know my own story, my own struggle. Having gone to church for years and years and years and yet not really thinking about it. But when the time came and I started to go, God, how could you really love me? Look at the mess of my life. How could you love me? And for months and months I would ask that question to anybody who would listen to me. Anybody who could speak into that. How could you love me? The doubts and the skepticism is it possible for us to be chosen like that? Is it possible for that person in your life who seems so far away? See, and the good and the spiritual people in Jesus' day had the same kinds of doubts and skepticism. We see them in the story, we see the, the spiritual leaders show up at the party where Jesus is and pulls some of Jesus' disciples aside and says, why is it that you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They're asking the question because they know this is not how life is supposed to work. If your life is a mess, you deserve a mess. If your life is full of pain and destruction and hurt that you've caused, then you should get pain and destruction. If you are a thief and a traitor and unclean and an outcast, you get outcast and unclean. And this is the wrong team for Jesus to be pulling around him. The wrong team to call. And we know that he was doing something profound at this party because we know even today that when you eat and you drink with people, there is a beautiful bond that forms as you share a meal, as you share stories. And there is this sense of belonging, connection, acceptance. Jesus is offering these tax collectors and sinners friendship and acceptance. And it doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't make sense to these guys looking from the outside. And did you notice how they asked Jesus' disciples? but it's Jesus that responds. I think part of that's because Jesus wants to speak a word that only he could really speak into our heart that's filled with doubt and skepticism. And he wants you to hear clearly. Because his response to them is, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And that makes sense to us, doesn't it? If you're healthy, if you feel good, you're not gonna go seek treatments from a doctor Like, you might go and see a doctor for preventative medicine. But when you go to that doctor for preventative care, you're not going to go and say, okay, and doc, I want you to give me a prescription for antibiotics, and why don't you throw some statins in on top of it? That'd be good. That's ridiculous. If you feel good, if you're healthy, you're not going to go seek out that treatment. And if you do go seeking out that treatment when you're healthy, then maybe you're not as healthy as you thought you were, because we should probably address some other issues that you've got. But Jesus is saying, if you think you're healthy, if you think your soul is whole and clean, then you don't really need God. At least you don't think you need God. Because Jesus came, as he's saying in this, as the doctor of our souls. Because he knows that we are all sick. Every one of us. And in need of a doctor. But the problem that these good, spiritual, upright people have Is that they didn't think they were sick. But they were sick with the same sickness that Levi and the other tax collectors had. They were sick with the same sickness, but it had different symptoms. For Levi, and maybe for some of us, it's this sense of doubt. It's this sense of of inadequacy. Because the sickness that's at the heart of both is an approach to life, an approach to God that believes that it's all based on your performance. If you're good enough, if you're worthy enough, then you're accepted and loved by God. And if you're not good enough, not worthy enough, then you're rejected by God. And so you better be a good person. And the doubts start to rise up in us when we start to look at our lives and go, well, am I really that good? How good is really that good? Because if it's like, if I have to be good like God is good then I'm not nearly there and and so this sickness was breeding within a Levi within us these doubts that maybe we don't measure up we're not good enough we're not worthy enough but that same sickness for the Pharisees for the spiritual leaders was showing up in a different way the symptoms for them of that sickness were pride and arrogance self-righteousness condemnation of the tax collectors and the sinners this feeling of superiority because man compared to them Hey, we're good. We're good people, aren't we? Compared to them, we've got to put together. But Jesus is saying there's the same sickness at the heart of both, the same sickness at the heart of all of us. And he's come as the doctor. The doctor to heal our soul from this approach to God and way of life that says it's based on your performance to be acceptable to God and instead, to realize that it's not about whether you're good enough, it's about whether Jesus was good enough for you. Is the doctor that's come to heal you, is his sacrifice on a cross good enough for God that we can be loved and we can be accepted? But Jesus has come to bring healing to our soul. But then he adds to this, He says at the end, he says, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. (laughs) And this really is such an important way for him to to end this story because for many of us, we love this story up to this point. Because we have this view of God that, of course God loves us. God is love. He's all loving. And so, you know, it's all good. He loves you right where you are, just as you are. You're perfect. It's good. Don't worry about it. But the reality is, Jesus is saying, you know what? Yes, I love you right where you are, but you're sick. And I want you to be well. I love you in the midst of the mess and the destruction and the choices, but I want for you something better. I want health. I want vitality. I want wholeness. I want relationship with your maker. The old way of life that you've been living isn't giving you that. That only comes through repentance through turning around, turning away from the old ways of being to a new way, following him. Jesus loves you right where you are, but loves you enough not to leave you where you are. See, if you had high cholesterol that was, like, really dangerous, and you went in and you saw your doctor, and doctor's like, well, you probably need medication, and you really would benefit from some lifestyle changes, that's really probably what you need. If that doctor said to you, but you know what? I love you just the way you are. I love you with your high cholesterol. See you later. And send you out the door without meds and without coaching you into a new lifestyle. right? It's ridiculous. That would never happen. But in the same way, Jesus is saying... I love you so much right where you are in the sickness of your soul, always approaching life based on your performance. And I want to show you that there is a new way of being following me. And as you follow me, I will bring healing to your soul. As you repent from the old way of trusting in yourself and you trust in me more and more, you follow my path, then I will transform you from the inside out and I will work something new and beautiful in you because that old way of life, the old patterns, the old lenses of approaching the world, the old sin, the old the old arrogance, the old righteousness, the old doubt and devastation, it's not going to give you the life that God wants for you. In that movie Dodgeball, right? It wasn't enough for Peter just to assemble a team. Like it it wasn't enough for him to just get this ragtag group of people together who had no knowledge of how to play the game, who were weak, who were ignorant, and just show up and expect to win. Now, I recognize it's a totally ridiculous movie to begin with. But even in it, there was a recognition of some things that needed to change. There was a need for repentance from their ignorance, from their laziness, from their weakness, and they had to train differently. And so they come under the training of a previous dodgeball champion Patches O'Houlihan and he puts them through the rigors of training a different way of being and by following him he was teaching them the five D's of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive and dodge. And at times the training was intense and it was even painful because he would throw wrenches at them literally and would tell them if you can dodge a wrench you can dodge a ball and All of this was was to train them for something greater, something more. He was trying to change them. See, it's not enough to just say, I believe in Jesus. I'm following Jesus. If there's no change, if there's no transformation, then we're not really following where he wants to take us because he wants to bring wholeness and healing and a different way of being. He wants to transform you and heal you from the inside out. because he has a different plan for you. It doesn't matter what your past has been, but your future is gonna be totally different following Jesus. And it was totally different for Levi. He had a different place of belonging, a different acceptance, a different purpose. But what didn't have to change was he didn't have to cut off all the people in his life from his past. The first thing he did was threw a party. And he became a source of hope, of possibility for all of his other outcast tax collector and sinner friends. And this is part of what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to transform you because he wants those around you who are far from him to see that there is a different way possible. There is a way that's not fraught with all of the pain and all of the anxiety and all of the worries and all of the overwhelmed that many of us carry. He wants to make you then a source of hope and light so that those around you who don't know the love of God that's for them in Jesus, who are still approaching the world based on their performance and whether they're good enough, he wants them to see, hey, there's something different possible. This is what Jesus' invitation is to follow him no matter how good you thought you were, no matter how bad you thought you were, it's to abandon that old way of living, to follow him, to be transformed from the inside out, to become a source of hope, of joy, of love, of meaning, as you trust more and more that you've been picked by the love of God through Jesus Christ, but you've been picked for a purpose. Will you follow him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Levi's story because in it, there is so much hope for us who find ourselves perhaps overwhelmed with with doubt, feeling devastated, feeling uncertain at very least that you would love us and accept us. Lord, if that's what is being carried right now. I pray that you would break through that for every person in this room that we could experience and know your love more deeply. And Lord, may we not resist what you want to do and change and transform in us. May we repent. May we turn from those ways of living that aren't working to more fully follow you, to more fully be transformed and healed by you that our lives would shine like a beacon of hope in a world that needs to know that you love us so much right where we are, but that you love us also so much that you want to change us and heal us. In Jesus' name, amen.